Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Prophet 2.0, our first week in a series about the life of Elisha. And uh, Elisha is a, a, an interesting character. Uh, a lot of really neat stuff happens in the Bible around this guy's life. And uh, so let's jump in real quick to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Kings and then flip a few pages forward to 2 Kings because we're going to be there in just a minute. But uh, we're going to start in 1 Kings 19, verse 19, uh, and part of verse 21. And it says, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing the field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Now, how's that for a hello? Kind of a strange thing, right? Can you imagine you're just at work, and one day somebody walks up, and it's like, I don't know, what would go through your mind? Do they think I'm cold? They just kind of put their jacket on you and walk away? Uh, An odd odd symbol, that's for sure, but that's what Elijah uh, did for Elisha, and then Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and went with Elijah as his assistant. Uh, Strange headhunting tactic there to find somebody to replace you in, 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 at work, you know, just walk up to somebody, give them your jacket, and they get the message. They realize, uh, okay, I need to quit my job and come follow you and become your new assistant. Uh, strange, strange beginning to this story. We'll talk a little bit more about it here in a second. But in the series, we're going to be looking at a prophet of God named Elisha. Everybody say Elisha. This is not to be confused with Elijah or Elijah, uh, if you say it uh, in the old Hebrew way. Uh, th- these are two different guys, and it kind of gets confusing. I have to be real careful when I'm reading it to make sure that uh, I'm saying the right name and not getting the two mixed up because that's really, really easy to do. Elisha is prophet 2.0. He's the guy who came after Elijah, prophet 1.0, if you will. And um, so here's this guy, uh, Elisha, but uh, um, we've got to understand uh, the context in the world in which he lived in order for us to understand his whole story. Uh, Elijah or Elisha uh, lived during a time of political and spiritual unrest. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Uh, So there's a lot that we can learn from this guy because uh, many of of, uh, the elements of his life really translate well uh, to us today. You can see uh, when you're looking in the uh, books of 1 and 2 Kings and the history of Israel, the Hebrew people, God's chosen people, they were one whole nation. But then they split, kind of like the United States did back in the 1860s. Uh, over slavery and some other issues, and there was the North and the South, right? And we had the Civil War, and uh, uh, all of that crazy stuff went on. Well, similar things happened in Israel. Uh, They had a political divide between the North and the South, and the Northern Kingdom was called Israel, and the Southern Kingdom became known as Judah. Now, the Northern Kingdom was a bigger than uh, the southern kingdom, and uh, for the most part, a more powerful nation. Uh, But the northern kingdom never once had a king who obeyed God, even though these were God's chosen people. 
The northern kingdom never once, not one single time, had a king who chose to follow the ways of the Lord and to be obedient to him. Now, the south had it a little bit better. In the southern kingdoms, uh, there, in the southern kingdom, there were some kings who would follow the Lord and then some kings who would not. And so as you read through uh, the, the books of First and Second Kings and you start, it starts rattling off all of these names of different kings and whatnot, you find out about kings who followed the Lord, kings who didn't follow the Lord. If you hear about the ones who followed and then fell away and that sort of thing, that was always in the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom kind of had a half heart for God and the northern kingdom had no heart for God. But these were God's chosen people. Now, when you look at America today, uh, I, I believe that it is unquestionable when you look at the history of our nation that when we were founded, we were indeed a Christian nation. And I'm not going to sit up here and bemoan the fact that we're no longer a Christian nation and oh, woe is me and everything's horrible and the sky is falling and that sort of thing. It is what it is. The world is what it is. Uh, we should look around the world and never be surprised when we see sin winning. I mean, human beings are sinners. You and me included, you and me especially, right? And uh, we're all messed up, and all you have to do to mess up something great is add people to the mix. That's why I tell people all the time, if you're looking for the perfect church, if you ever find it, don't join it, because you'll screw it up, right? Um, and if you're looking for the perfect country, the perfect political system, don't join it, you'll mess it up. Wherever you put a people in the mix, it's going to become messy. It may be wonderful and fantastic at one point in time, but eventually it implodes and it becomes a mess. The, is, the history of Israel is proof of that. I mean, these guys saw God work direct and powerful miracles over and over and over and over again, and still they fell away. And so there's this... Uh, a group of Christians many times in America today that it kind of breaks my heart because we look around uh, as Christians at our country and we get all this sad and pathetic and woe is me kind of mentality and we're like, look at what the world's coming to. But you know what we should be saying? Look what's coming to the world. The gospel is still the same. The gospel still transforms. It is still powerful. Jesus still changes lives. We don't have anything to be afraid of. We need to be excited about the fact that, you know what? There's just that much more mission opportunity for us. We live in a world that is ripe for Jesus. And we should be excited about that. Let's not be the kinds of Christians who are in our hidey holes uh, protecting ourselves and insulating ourselves from the world and scared of what's going on. Let's be like Elijah and Elisha who get into the mess and begin changing their world. Now, uh, before we can talk about Elisha and his ministry, we've got to rewind the clock just a little bit to Elijah or Elijah and his ministry. Uh, Elijah was a prophet of God, uh, arguably the most famous prophet in the Old Testament. Um, uh, interestingly, he does not have his own book. You have minor prophets like uh, Obadiah and uh, guys like that who have one or two pages or two or three chapters in the Bible, and they have their, whole, their own book. And then you have this guy, Elijah, who did crazy miracles, uh, one of the most famous, if not the most famous prophet in the Old Testament, and he doesn't even get his own book. He just happens to be in second, First and Second Kings. I think that's interesting. Um, but uh, Elijah had done some amazing, amazing things. I really like the story of Elijah for a number of reasons, uh, but one of them is that this guy was just fearless. He was so bold. 
Uh, there was one day when he was facing a, a godless king in Israel, and uh, he stood up against 400 of this king's false gods' prophets. 400. He's outnumbered 401. Plus, there was a whole bunch of other prophets from another false god there. I mean, it was like, it was ridiculous. And he stood up without any fear, and he challenged them. And I'll let you read the story. I won't tell the whole thing because we're not talking about Elijah today. Uh, we're going to focus on Elisha. But this guy, he was fearless. I also like him because he was also depressed. And uh, uh, I know that I've shared my story with you guys. I have wrestled with uh, major depression, and uh, it can be very, very debilitating. And I love the story of Elijah because uh, right after he won against these 450 prophets of Baal, he went into a deep depression, and he starts crying out, God, why don't you just let me die? And he goes off and he hides and <clears throat> has this really bad episode with depression, and God has to deal with him. Uh, he's just a real guy, but one who... God was able to do amazing, amazing things through. So if you ever feel like, well, God can't do great things through me, you're wrong. Because if he can do something, uh, all of these amazing things through a depressed guy like Elijah, he can work in your life as well. And to the extent that God made this guy famous, so famous that when one day he walked up to Elisha, who was just plowing a field, and put his cloak on his shoulders, Elisha knew what that meant. This is his way of passing on the mantle and saying, I've picked you to be my replacement. That's how famous the guy was. Elijah knew that when I put my coat on this man, Elisha's going to get it, and Elisha's going to start following me. And so sure enough, that's what Elisha did. In 1 Kings 19, he found him successing, or his successor working hard in the field, and uh, he put his cloak on him, the symbol that you're going to succeed me. Elisha got the message, and boom, immediately started following him. Now, we're going to fast forward to about four years later, all right? Elisha has been working hard as Elijah's assistant. He has seen Elijah work ridiculous miracles. He's uh, witnessed all kinds of powerful and amazing things. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, we're going to look at verses uh, 1 through 16. So bear with me as I read a pretty long chunk of scripture here. Anybody opposed to reading the Bible in our church? Didn't think so. Just checking. All right, so here we go. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Now let's just pause right there for a second. How did these prophets know? I don't know. The Lord spoke to the prophets and through the prophets all the time, so I would imagine God gave those prophets a word and said, hey, guess what? This is probably the last time you're ever going to see the famous dude Elijah and uh, um, poor old Elisha, who's been walking around as his secretary for four years, uh, working really hard, following him, his intern, if you will, uh, doing everything that he needed uh, done and bringing Elisha his coffee and his slippers and the morning paper and whatever else assignments, assigned duties he had. Um, 
that poor guy's going to be without a job. Maybe you ought to give him a warning. Uh, I don't know exactly what the Lord said to these prophets, but he gave them some kind of a message so they knew Elijah's checking out today. And Elisha already knew about it. So, in verse 4, Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went together to Jericho. Then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, Did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? So God has given the same message to another group of guys. These guys did not have Facebook. All right? They didn't have Instagram. They didn't even have a telegraph. Beep, 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 beep. You know, they couldn't, like, send a message and, hey, uh, we already told Elijah this uh, thing, this news about Elijah. Maybe you guys ought to pass it on. Uh, there, there were no newspapers that were being printed. The printing press had not been invented, wouldn't be invented for thousands of years. Uh, I mean, it was just a, a crazy, crazy deal. God spoke to these people personally. And so, uh, did you know that... Uh, um, your master is going to be taken away from you. Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. Now, here's a tip. If you hear someone say to you on multiple occasions a message from God, maybe you ought to listen. This is just a freebie, all right? Have you ever been to church and felt like, Man, that message was exactly what I needed to hear. It was like God wrote that sermon just for me. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, and then maybe you go visit another church or you turn on the radio and Charles Stanley is on and lo and behold, God wrote a message just for you there too. Ever it happened? Now, now it, be honest about this, okay? Have you ever heard the multiple, in, from multiple places that you needed to do something for the Lord and you were still reluctant to do it? Well, here's a tip. Just obey. Just don't freak out about it. Just go with the flow. Whatever the Lord is going to do, he's going to do. And Elisha is ready for it. He's like, of course I know, but be quiet about it. I don't know why he's saying be quiet about it. I'm not sure what's going on there. Uh, I think scripture is really, really fascinating. It tells us a lot of facts and doesn't give us a lot of uh, commentary. There's not a lot of filling in of the blanks. And so my imagination kind of goes um, wild. Maybe he was upset about it. And he was saying, I know, shut up. <laughs> Quit telling me, all right? I'm freaking out as it is. Maybe he's like, shh, don't tell. This is a secret and we don't everybody want everybody to know about it. I don't know what the story was, what the in-between um, the lines thing is, but it's just kind of interesting to wonder. So anyway, verse 6. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Verse 7, 50 men from the group of prophets also went and watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Then Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it, and the river divided, and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. Now let's just pause right there. This was an everyday occurrence for Elisha and Elijah. I mean, it's funny that the Bible doesn't make any mention of how grandiose this was. Um, the, you know, people weren't like, oh my gosh, you know. 
they were just used to seeing God do amazing things through the life of Elijah. This was the kind of man this prophet 1.0 had been. And so Elisha wasn't at all surprised by it. He sees the water get struck, the river parts, they walk across on dry ground. And then in verse 9, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Your successor. Now, you've got a guy as powerful as Elijah that you're working for. He can walk up with a folded bathrobe and touch a river, and the river will stop flowing, and the water will part, and you can walk across on dry ground. And this guy asks you, what kind of favor can I do for you before I leave? What's your answer going to be? He's like, oh, dude, if you could just get me that winning lottery ticket, right? I mean, how many of us are going to stop and say, yeah, I'd like a double portion of your spirit? First of all, most of us don't know what that means. We'll talk about it in a minute. But uh, um, we would have this laundry list of things. Man, it's going to be hard to pick. I've got a lot of wishes here that you could grant, Mr. Genie Elijah. Um, let me... what. That'd be kind of difficult for me. I got to be honest. I don't know that I would be super spiritual about it. I might be going, dude, I've always dreamed of having a Tesla. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> There's a lot of things that I would love to have in my life that um, uh, maybe I would just be worldly enough to not be thinking about the spiritual ramifications of what this guy is about to do and say and just, yeah, you know, I don't know. I got to be honest. I don't know that. I would say to him, give me a double portion of your spirit. Anybody be honest and say, I've got some other things on my list that I might put before that one? Yeah, a few of you are honest, right? Let's just be real. So, <clears throat> verse 10, you've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. Now, if you've got a pen real quick and your Bible handy, underline that statement for just a minute. It's not hugely important today, but it will be in next week's message. So uh, we'll come back and talk about that. My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. I think I'd probably tear my clothes in distress too. I'd freak out a little bit. You're walking along and Arnold of sudden, Marty McFly's DeLorean, a chariot of fire, pulls in between you. <laughs> there's flames coming out of the tires and there's horses pulling it and uh, all this crazy stuff is going on and your boss just you know, casually gets on board and flies away. Right? I mean, weird stuff. And uh, Elisha is disappointed because Elijah is now gone. He's dedicated four years of his life to this guy, tore his clothes in distress. Then Elijah picked up Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. And what did he do? He did exactly the same thing his boss did. 
He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided and Elisha went across. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what had happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to him and bowed down to the ground before him. What an amazing, weird, bizarre set of circumstances. In 2 Kings chapter 2, as Elijah came to the end of his work, we learned that he didn't die. Instead, God took him straight to heaven in a chariot of fire, and Elisha gets to witness this thing, and he says to Elisha, what can I do for you? Elisha says, give me a double portion of your spirit. Now, a minute ago, I asked the question, what would you have asked for? Maybe you'd have asked for, you know, hey, help me get out of debt. Help, help bring some peace to my family. Help me make more money. Uh, give me more time. Elijah, if you could just help me have less stress in my life or a better marriage, or if you would bless us with kids or bless us with fewer kids, or if you could just bring me that special someone in my life. Give me that dream job. You fill in the blank. What would you have asked for? How many of us would ask for a greater ministry? Some of us would. That's great. But many times that's the last thing in our minds, right? Why? Because the things of God don't always dominate our thinking. What dominates our thinking? The things of us. It's my problems, my priorities, my projects, my fill-in-the-blank. These are the things that have my attention. But Elisha's priorities were different than most people. He wanted God's kingdom to flourish, and he wanted to make a greater difference in the world. So he asked Elisha, or Elijah for something really unique. You know, the Spirit of God that rests upon you and his power to do all these amazing things that you've done, I want you to ask God to give me twice that. A double portion of your spirit. Now, his priorities being different remind me of something that Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. What comes first in that? Getting everything that you need? Which that's probably where we would have started asking. When we pray, what's the first thing we do? Lord, help me get through today. I pray that I won't kill my in-laws. I pray that I won't just up and quit my job even though I really want to. I pray that I won't go bankrupt. I pray that you'll give me enough money to pay my rent. I pray that You'll do this and that. And typically the first thing we do when we begin communicating with God is giving him our list of requests, our wants. Okay, genie God, if you could just grant my wish. But the first thing Jesus says that we are to do is to seek God's kingdom. That means ask the Lord to have his will and his way in your life and in the world around you first. And to say, Lord, I want my first priorities in this life to be your priorities. Jesus says, flip your life upside down. Don't give to God last, give to him first. 
Flip your life upside down. Don't put his wants and his desires and his requests last. Say, Lord, I want those things to be most important in my life. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And then what happens? All those other little bullet points get taken care of. The Lord fills in the blanks and takes care of the needs. Now, interestingly, Elisha was called man of God more times in the Bible than anybody else. He was called the man of God more times. 31 times, by comparison, Moses, pretty big, important character in the Old Testament, was called this six times. Elijah, who had come right before him, prophet 1.0, this guy was called the man of God seven times. But I'm convinced that Elisha earned that nickname because he wanted more for God's glory, for God's causes, for God's plans than he wanted for his own. Elisha was called the man of God because he wanted the things of God more than he wanted anything else in his life. What do you want most in your life? What do you want most in your life? As we go through this series, I want you to personally consider two key questions. So you might just uh, take your notes and answer these questions right now, if you would. Uh, First question is this, what do you long for most in life? Write it down. A better house, more wealth, retirement, to be respected, to have a great reputation, to have great influence. What is it that you want most in life? Elisha wanted to make a bigger difference for God's sake than those who came before him. He didn't want to be like Elijah. He wanted to accomplish more than Elijah. Second question I want you to answer and that we're going to be pondering in this series is, how will you be remembered? When you die, what is the dash on your grave marker going to represent? The dash is the most important part, and it gets the least attention on our gravestones. Born on date X, died on date Y, and in the middle, there was that dash that summarizes your entire life. What does that dash mean? What's that dash going to represent for you when you're gone? What are people going to remember the most? That guy had a great sense of humor. Man, what a wise investor. That person always put family first. Oh, she was always willing to help. Or maybe what people are going to remember is negative, like that person was so selfish. They were too busy. They were short-tempered. Or, when you're dead and gone, will people look at that dash? Will people look at your life and say, he was a man of God. She was a woman of God. There's no greater legacy that any of us can leave than that. Think about it for just a second. What else can you do in this life, aside from the things of God, that are going to last? I mean, really, really last. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Edward Kimball? I didn't think so. Nobody has. Very seldom has anybody heard that name and gone, oh yeah, I know who that is. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. And there was a kid named Dwight in his Sunday school class 
that just didn't seem to understand the gospel. And Edward was really concerned about this kid. Man, if this kid doesn't understand the gospel, he might die and go to hell. And I want this kid to know Jesus. And so he went to where Dwight was working. Dwight was working in a shoe store. And he went on a Saturday. He didn't mow his lawn, didn't take care of his yard, didn't clean his garage, didn't work on his hobby, didn't hang out with his kids, didn't go to a soccer game or to a cross-country match or to anything like that. Instead, what did he do? He went to a shoe store and went to a kid named Dwight and he shared the gospel with him very clearly and that kid named Dwight gave his life to Jesus and that kid named Dwight grew up to be Dwight L. Moody. One of the most powerful and noted evangelists in the history of the world. And Dwight Moody led a guy named Wilbur Chapman to the Lord who led a famous baseball player named Billy Sunday to the Lord. Billy Sunday started traveling and doing evangelism and led a guy named Mordecai Ham to the Lord. And Mordecai Ham became an evangelist and began leading thousands of people to Christ. So here's this one Sunday school teacher now who has thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people following Jesus because he gave up a Saturday to put God's kingdom first. And then Mordecai Ham was preaching one day to a guy they called Billy Frank. And Billy Frank gave his life to Jesus. And his last name was Graham. And Billy Graham, we all know that name, don't we? Now all of a sudden we know the name Edward Kimball. But what do people remember him for? They remember him because God's priority took first place in his life. What else do you have to live for and to do that's going to last? Let's look at a verse from the Psalms that really applies here. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. That makes a lot of coffee mugs, doesn't it? Makes it onto Christian t-shirts. You go to the Christian bookstore, you might even find some uh, boxer shorts with that on it. I mean, you find Bible verses printed on just about everything, right? And uh, anybody remember when the Prayer of Jabez book came out? If you don't remember this, this book came out and the Prayer of Jabez was printed on everything. And I'll never forget reading on a pair of boxer shorts, the Prayer of Jabez. Oh my Lord, now I'm wondering what the world's coming to, right? Um, but uh, uh, what a what a... This verse right here is one of those that people love to print out and hang on their wall, and it's because we love the second part, and he'll give you your heart's desires. But don't you want God to give you the, your heart's desires? I do. But what's the prerequisite here? You've got to delight yourself in him first. What does it mean to delight yourself in somebody? Maybe... Uh, you're experiencing this right now. You've fallen in love with somebody. You remember what those feelings were like when you fell in love or when you are falling in love or when you'd like to fall in love with somebody? Maybe, maybe you're falling in love with somebody and they don't even know it and you're just kind of that creepy stalker person right now, you know, dreaming about them all the time. And uh, they dominate your thinking, right? What you want for them is what they want for them. 
You want to buy things for them, spend money on them, spend time with them. You want to do things for them. You even want to change for them. Oh, if she doesn't like Star Wars, I guess I'll give up Star Wars. That was never going to happen in my life. <laughs> I mean, that's what it means to delight in somebody. Maybe you have a child or you remember when you had a really young baby. Wasn't it fun to delight yourself in your kids? I mean, you take a, a grandparent versus a babysitter for just a second in delighting in children. What does the grandparent do? That grandparent wants to spoil that grandbaby, but the babysitter wants to get paid. Right? Which one of those is delighting in the grandbaby? The grandparents long to see what the baby is going to do next. The babysitter might enjoy watching the baby, might really love the kid, but at the end of the day, they don't stay up at night thinking about that child. Grandparents take pictures and post them all over Facebook and Instagram. If you're a babysitter and you do that, it's creepy. What's the difference? The babysitter delights in getting something out of the relationship with the child. Money. But the grandparents just delight in the relationship itself. What do you delight in? What you can get from God? Or do you simply delight in Him? Do you find your deepest joy in doing His will or in getting His blessings? Where do you find your deepest joy? Just in Him? Where do you find your deepest joy when he gives you what you want? That'll really reveal your character and what is truly important to you. Let's read that psalm again, Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Will you have the bold faith to put some of your greatest wishes and wants and desires on hold? And put God's desires first. If you'll have that kind of faith, God will take care of the rest. He promises he will. And is God a liar? I didn't think so. Today, I dare you, ask God for a double portion of his spirit. I dare you to ask God to give you a deeper impact in this world I dare you to put God's plans first in your life and to seek his kingdom above all else let's pray thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast be sure to tune in every week for more new content We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. 
Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week. 